So I want to start with a story. There was this boy, uh, he was a younger boy, uh, let's just, just call him Billy. And Billy had a sister and a mom, and I guess they lived near a ski slope, and they decided, hey, let's, let's go skiing. And so uh, it was nearby, it was on a Thursday, late afternoon, close to night, and little Billy and his mom and his sister, they all went skiing. We don't know where dad was, we don't know if he was at work or he wasn't there, I, I don't know that part of the story. Um, what I do know is that Billy was new to skiing. And it was something that, that was kind of, you know, he struggled with. It was something that he was not really that great with. And so he, he went on the slope, his mom and sister were there, and he began to panic. He began to be a little scared. And so he was on the bunny hill, okay, so it's not anything crazy, but he decided to stop in the middle of the bunny hill. So here he is, he's got his skis, he's, he's kind of facing sideways, and he's facing his mother. And she's like, you got to get out of the way. You're in the middle of the slope. And he's saying, but mama, I don't want to do this. And, and they're arguing back and forth. And the sister's off to the side. And you can tell that the sister kind of knows what she's doing. And she's even younger. So it's even more embarrassing for this kid, Billy. And so he's standing there. And, and they're, they're having this one off. But out of nowhere, since everyone is moving, okay, everyone's skiing, everyone's snowboarding, this one snowboarder does not see and, and has no choice but to try to stop and the snowboarder could not stop in time and falls short and smashes, I mean smashes into Billy. And Billy falls and he gets, he, he, slant, he moves like 15 feet from where he was. His skis go everywhere. The kid is like injured, bad. And maybe at this point of the story you're like, how do you know so much about this kid, Billy? Because I was the snowboarder that couldn't stop and slammed into Billy, knocking him down. And man, did I hit him hard. I couldn't stop. Little Billy's standing there in the middle. I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm learning how to snowboard for the first time at this point and bash into Billy. So I, I, I get up. I grab my snowboard. I pick it up. I run up the hill. And little Billy's there. He must be like 10. And he's cursing his mom out. Like, I don't even know if he knew what these words were. You know, he's saying all these, these words. And I was like, Oh, Billy is not happy. And he's like, Mom, I'm done, Mom. I'm done. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs. And I go, yo, dude, you okay? He did not want anything to do with me. All right. And so he's standing there. He picks up his skis. And he's crying. And I feel terrible. What can I do? Right? And so he picks up his skis. And he goes, I'm done. And he starts walking to the side. He starts walking. And he goes to the edge of the slope and slowly walks down the rest. And so I just put my snowboard back on. I kind of turn sideways and I start to go. (laughs) <laughs> and I will always remember little Billy holding his skis, whimpering <laughs> as he goes down. And here's the thing, Thanksgiving's around the corner, and you know, this happened a couple of years ago, so you know he's going to be sitting with his family come Thanksgiving, they're all going to be talking about their skiing things, and he's going to be like, yeah, I gave it up, some guy slammed into me four years ago. So I left a mark on him, emotionally and physically, I apologize. Billy, if you're listening to this, forgive me. I'm sorry that I ended ended your skiing career, okay? Um, So I left a mark on him, but not in the way I wish I wanted to. Um, But as far as leaving an impact, I remember talking to one of my neighbors who was moving away. It was a few years back as well, before the whole Billy incident, Um, (laughs) which is not good. But here it comes. So he goes, hey, man, I'm moving. My my friend, he lived a couple houses down, told me that he was moving, that he was going to Florida. And so, uh, you know, that was tough. But anyway, he was getting ready to go. And I remember he, he pulled me aside and he, right one of the days before he left. And he said, hey, man, I, I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay. He's like, dude, I just want to thank you. Like, 
you changed my life. And at this point, I'm like, whoa. Like, like me? Like little old me? Like I, and I'm starting to think, like, all right, maybe because, you know, my faith and working at a church and just, like, trying to encourage this guy and like, and, like, spending the time to talk to him. And I remember just being, like, so excited. Like, man, like, what could this be? And then he began to explain how I changed his life. He said, dude, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't know what Converse sneakers are. I'm like, and he begins to tell me how great these shoes were. And so I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, I'm having like an internal crisis. I'm like, am I going to be known for like, you know, like the guy who, who like told him about what shoes, like on my gravestone, it's going to be like Andrew Muller. He showed us what shoes to buy. Like, is that what it's going to say? And these are the things that are running through my head. And I'm like, this is the lasting impression I left on this guy. Shoes! And so we left, and that was it. <laughs> but I began thinking about my life, and I began thinking about, you could take that down. Hopefully I won't die anytime soon, and that won't be my legacy. But at the end of the day, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to leave behind? When your name comes up, when someone thinks about you, are you going to be the guy that smashed into them and end their skiing career? <laughs> or are you going to be the guy who, you know, was not really there for them in a good or bad way, just kind of told them what to do and told them what was cool? Or would you be someone that when someone thinks of you, that they would be brought to, to tears in, in a good way. They, they'd say, man, that person was there for me. Would your name, when it comes up to a group of people, will it bring joy or, or will it bring pain? See, here's the thing. Tonight, we all leave behind a legacy. We all will leave behind a legacy. We'll, let's just kind of define what legacy means. Um, legacy means anything handed down from the past, as from an ancestor or predecessor. Anything handed down from the past. So it's basically your mark on the world, my mark on the world, on the people around us. That is the legacy that we are talking about here tonight. And so some of you guys have been in, in you know, grade school. You moved to grade school, to middle school. Some of you have, are in high school now. So when you left the older school, some of you transferred to different schools, right? So when you left that place, you left a legacy of who you were in those places. You know, middle school, you, you moved on from that. So your teachers, your friends back then, you left an impression on them. Maybe in the future when you guys go to college, the college you go to, when you go there and you meet people and you start talking with people and you start influencing people, you will leave a legacy there. When you get married one day, the family that you'll marry into, you're going to leave a legacy into that family. Then when you start a family of your own, you think about Joey and Jess, they're pregnant with twins. That legacy is growing, right? And then your, your children, and then what, what happens? Then one day you die, and then you leave this earth and you leave a legacy behind. And tonight, it's kind of an emotional message for me. Uh, as we saw in the announcements, we're moving. And so this is the last time I will speak at Green Room on this stage, on this physical stage. Just take that in for a second because this, this place has so much sentimental value to me. Um, my goal is to not tear up or cry tonight, but it might happen at some point. Um, but it's when one chapter ends and another one begins that often we begin to, to, to reflect. We begin to think about, hey, what has God done in this room? What has God done in my life? And as I was praying, I was saying, God, what should I speak about from my last green room, at least in this building, to talk about, this idea of legacy came up. 
And so tonight, I want us to kind of look at our legacy and what legacy are we leaving. If we hit pause, if we hit time out on our world, let's look at where we're going. Let's look at who we're impacting. Let's look at how we are living. And maybe you're asking, like, Andrew, look, why are we talking about this now? Because you just talked about, like, like all things in the future. We, you just talked about, like, like, you even mentioned Joey and Jess and children and marriage. And, like, Andrew, that is so far off from me. Like, like why are we talking about this now? I, I don't, I'm in sixth grade. I can't do anything. Maybe that's how you feel tonight. But what I want us to remind, what I want to remind you is that your life matters. That you are here for a reason. You can make a huge impact. I don't care how old you are. Some of the youngest people in this world make the biggest difference. And you will pass on something to someone. And see, here's the problem. The problem is that you and I, we can let our life pass us by, right? At any given stage of life. When, you know, for me, like just thinking back, like there's so many times I wish I was in middle school again to treat that person better or to, or to encourage that person or to kind of tweak how I lived, right? Or when I was back in high school, some of the friends I don't even see anymore. Man, I feel like, man, I wish I could do more. And see, these parts of your life go quick. And it's easy for us to kind of coast through it and miss out on what God wants to do through you and through me. The moments that we're living now matter. And they add up to a legacy that we leave. And see, what's at stake here tonight is so often our fear and our unbelief. They disqualify us from experiencing the true life that God wants to give and the things that he wants to do through us tonight. And so it's important that we hit pause every once in a while. We refocus our direction and we think about what kind of legacy I'm leaving behind because whether you like it or not, we will leave behind a legacy. The question tonight is what kind of legacy do you want it to be? And so we're going to talk about the Israelites here tonight. And in these scriptures, we'll see the problems Back then, that still exists today. In 2017, the things that hold you and I back from having a successful legacy, we're going to see come to the surface in these scriptures. And as we kind of go through them, we're going to unpack what it looks like to live successfully as we dive into Numbers 14. So we're going to be in the Old Testament here today. I want to give us a little background. In 1446 BC, uh, God sent Moses and Aaron to Egypt to rescue the Israelites. The Israelites were um, enslaved for 400 years. Their, their culture was enslaved for 400 years. They were praying, God free us, God free us. God sent Moses and Aaron. They, they freed them. They went through the wilderness. God brings them out of Egypt, starts giving them a law, gives the Ten Commandments, all that cool stuff happens. Um, and then one year later, he brings them to Canaan. And Canaan is the promised land. Canaan is where God kept saying, I'm going to give you a home. It's going to be yours. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be flowing with milk and honey. And he brings them there. And the only catch was that it was was an inhabited nation. This nation was evil. And so God said, I want you to take it over. And so the Israelites, they sent 12 spies into the land to look. And so for 40 days... They're looking around, they're checking things out, they're, they're grabbing some, some fruit and some, some resources from there, and they're looking at the people, they're looking at their warriors, and they come back. They come back to the camp, and 10 
out of the 12 go up to the people and say, we're going to die. Like these people, they're huge. Like so they even like started like coming up with like, yeah, like some of them are like giants and like we're like grasshoppers. We're going to get crushed. And the people go into a panic. And so this is where we come on the scene. This is where we begin to see the beginning of what we'll be talking about here tonight in Numbers 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And all the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we died in this wilderness? So just quick time out. The nation lost their faith and their hope. They began to let their fear kind of sink in. They, they started to believe that it would be better if they died in Egypt or in the wilderness than to move forward with what God They begin to let their fear get the best of them. They begin to rebel. In verse 3, we continue. Why why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? So basically they're saying, you know, why is God bringing us to this place just to die? Just to be slain by these people. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Meaning that the, the, the inhabitants of Canaan will take our kids from us. I mean, they're worried. And now what they say is this. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. And so maybe you're sitting here, you're hearing this story, and you're saying, all right, I get it. They're scared. They're nervous. They're, they're allowed to do that. But here's why we need to realize this situation is ridiculous. Because a year before this moment, they're in Egypt. They're slaves. They're working every single day under the rule of the evil Pharaoh who's just like forcing them into horrible labor. Moses and Aaron come. They, poof, they kick into the scene. They're like, we're taking our people back. And Moses is like, I mean, sorry. The Pharaoh's like, no! And as they go back and forth. And then what happens? The ten plagues, if you know the story, right? And here's something I learned about the ten plagues that maybe you don't, you haven't heard if you heard, cool. But the ten plagues were so specific. There were ten, ma- or actually not ten, but there were major Egyptian gods. These, the Egy- Egyptians worshipped the many gods. They were polytheistic. They worshiped many different gods. Okay, but each and every plague was a direct attack to a major god of the Egyptians. So we have God coming on the scene, and Pharaoh himself is like, I'm God. And the people are like, he's God. And this man is brought to his knees. Ten plagues happen. What, the, the Nile turns to blood. I mean, all these crazy things. You know, locusts and, and all these wonders that you and I have never seen in our lifetime happen. The Israelites are seeing this with their own eyes. So finally, Pharaoh lets them free. They move. They go. What happens? You know the story. They, they get to the Red Sea. They're stuck. And they turn around. They realize that Pharaoh's armies are coming after them. And so what do they do? They're like, we're going to die. Oh, my God. The water. The people. And they start crying. And Moses is like, shut up. And he listens to God. He waves his staff. God parts the Red Sea. I, I, imagine just standing there for a second. Like, I know we heard this story a thousand times. But imagine just standing there. You see the water just go up like... I, it's like something you would see in Stranger Things. I mean, just, you know, like the water. And it's just like, we can walk on this, right? And, and then, so they go through, and they're like, okay. And so they make it to the other side. And what happens? The Egyptian armies are coming through. And they get stuck in the middle. And, and they turn around, and then what happens? God says, all right, let's close that. And then the water comes rushing in, defeating the army. The Israelites are free. God came through, right? Then on top of that, 
when they're traveling through the wilderness, God sent a cloud for them to follow. A physical cloud. And at night, that cloud would turn into a fire pillar. So I don't know about you, but if we're seeing all of these things, that should be amazing. It, it, tonight, if you're struggling, you're like, man, I just want to see God show up. Like, if you were these people, you would saw God show up every day. And here's the crazy part about it. God showed himself. They saw the acts of God before their eyes, and they still doubted. And see, why is this a big deal tonight? Because... You know how sometimes people say, oh, seeing is believing. Yeah, I, when I see it, I'll believe it. But here these people saw, but something was greater than what they saw that affected them. And it was their fear. Because the Israelites were defined by their fear, and their fear caused them to give up their inheritance. Fear causes me to give up my inheritance. When God's trying to give me something good. He's trying to move me in a direction. It gets a little uncomfortable. My fear can kick in, and I, and I disqualify myself. And why would the Israelites do this? The thing is, is that all they knew was slavery. All they knew was slavery. And so when the road of freedom got a little hard, they wanted to return to what was familiar. Their emotions betrayed them. The very truth that they knew with their hearts and even saw with their eyes, they forsook because they were so afraid. And what was that truth? But that truth was that God has done miracles. God can provide. God can show up. And they begin to doubt that. Because they let their legacy be controlled by fear. And tonight, tonight, what is your legacy? And what is stopping you? Could it be fear? And so, summarize the next couple of verses. They rebel against God. Uh, the people take stones to, to try to kill um, Moses and Aaron, which is probably not a good idea, but they try to do that. God intervenes. God reminds Moses and Aaron that the people tested them ten times. So it's not like the people were like, oh yeah, we're afraid, and then God's like, no way, this is not happening. These people did this ten times. Though they saw him, though he showed up, their fear disqualified them ten times. And so God reminds them of that, and they work a deal out between the two of them. God chooses to pardon the people, but at a cost. That they're going to be exiled to the, the desert. We're going to look, pick it up in, in verse 31. So this is God speaking to the people. He says, but your little ones. So the children that they thought would become prey, that's who he's talking about. So the little ones that you said would become prey, I will bring in. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. So he's talking to the adults. He's like, you adults screwed up. I'm giving it to your kids. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. Man, I'm going to stitch that on a pillow. That's a great verse, right? Like that, you know, that's tough. But what happened here? Their lack of faith, they passed down a legacy to their children of them being in the wilderness for 40 years. And see, here's the thing. God was basically waiting for the adults to die off. He said, look, I'm going to give the promised land to your kids. And so you're, I'm going to wait for you to die. That's what's going on. So God's not killing them here. They're just going to have to wait the 40 years. So they passed on a legacy of fear, mistrust, and unfaithfulness to their kids. 
And here is where you and I begin to see the problem. I wish that this was the only example in the Bible, in the world, of somebody giving up what God wants to do in their life. And that I wish that we could have read this story and generations before us read this story and said, man, wow, these people were about to get the promised land. All they had to do was just take it and trust God, and they didn't. Let's learn from that. The problem is, is that we see this happen all the time. We see this happen daily in our culture. Could it be that we let our lack of faith and fear drive us instead of God? And see, here's the thing. We're going to get afraid. There's going to be certain things that happen in life we're going to get nervous about. And that's okay. God will be with you in those moments. But it's when we believe the lies. The lies that the world tells us. The lies that the enemy tells us. That, hey, God, God doesn't love you. These are the lies that we're told, right? Or, or God is not real. He's not worth following. And they, they talk about science and how science and, and Christianity are, are like, at war, when if anything, they prove each other, but that's a different story, right? And so we hear all these lies. You're not good enough. You're young. You're not going to do anything that makes a dent on this world. When we believe those lies, they could dictate our life. And we find ourselves forfeiting what God wants to do in our lives. And our culture, sadly, is not far off from the Israelites. Faithless and fearful. But the truth is this, is that God eventually set up the nation. God eventually set up the nation. He got his people together, and a whole bunch of years later, Christ was born onto the scene, to the most perfect time in history where he died for my sins and for your sins. And the legacy that Christ left us is one of salvation and one of freedom. And so we live in a great time in history that when Christ died and as we accept him as our Savior, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit? But it's this spirit that he gives us that encourages us, that builds us up, that helps us overcome our fear and overcome the obstacles that life throws at us. And since we put our faith in Christ, he breaks our chains and we have this Holy Spirit, right? We would all say that, like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I got the Holy Spirit, right? But my question is, so why are we still forfeiting the good that God wants to give you and I today. Like, why do I do this? Like, like, why do I forfeit the good that God, like, God's like, hey, I want to do this through you, but, but I'm just so set in my ways or I'm so set in my fear. I, 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 I shrink back and I miss out. Why do I do that? Why do you do that? And I think this is the question. Could it be that we are too concerned with our comfort? That we are so concerned with our comfort. Guys, the poorest person in America is the richest person somewhere else. We have Instagram, TV, iPhones. We, all of us are, most of us in this room are not going to go to bed hungry tonight. Some, most of us in this room will have a bed to sleep in tonight. In a warm environment. We're not freezing, you know. We are, want our comfort. So many of us, we've accepted Jesus, right? Maybe you say, I'm a Christian tonight. But the truth is that you and I both can be crippled by the unknown. I don't know, if I, were to, if I were to go over there and do that and encourage that person, I don't know what that would do. Or if I would face my fear and talk to this person about what's bothering me, you know, I, I don't know, I, I'm afraid of the unknown. And so here's the thing, we 
can run back to that old relationship. That's why we do that, right? Because it's familiar. We, we always do what feels safe. If all your friends are going this way, you're like, oh, I, I guess I'll go this way. Right? Because if you know if you go the other way, you'll get made fun of. And, and it's easier. I just want to, you know, we, we don't like to cause any conflict with each other. We, we try to stay out of each other's business. We're afraid to admit our own emotions like Joey was talking about a few weeks ago. Why? Because it gets messy. We don't like mess. We like it to be neat. We like it to look like an Instagram story. You know, like, oh, wow, cool text. Perfect. They're having a great time. You know? The reason why we do that is because it's safe. It's known. Tonight, maybe you're not a Christian, and we're glad you're here. And, but maybe you, too, have felt this whole, you know, it's, it's kind of scary to step out, right? I, I mean, you, too, like us, like anybody, it can be a scary thing to step out of our comfort zones. But it's in the comfort, it's when we outside of our comfort zone where we make the biggest difference. This should be up on the screen, but it says, No lasting legacy is ever created by someone who is playing it safe. No lasting legacy is ever created by someone who is playing it safe. How many of you have seen Thor recently? Just raise your hand. I have not seen it. Do not give me a spoiler. All right, but I've heard it was amazing. I heard it was sick. I can't wait to see it. But here's the thing. Why was it amazing? Thor didn't wake up and say, oh, there's going to be a war. I'm going to stay inside because I'm afraid it might not go well. And the rest of the movie, he just hung out at home. Like, that's not a movie we like to watch, you know what I'm saying? Like, like Indiana Jones is like, you know, when he, that's so old, forget it. Star Wars, like Rogue One, she comes in, she's like shooting the gun, she's fighting bad guys, right? You're like, yeah! But if she was like, no, I'm going to stay home, I'm scared, you know? That wouldn't be a movie we would like. It would get a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. Because no lasting legacy is ever created by someone who's playing it safe. The movies you and I love to watch, the shows we love to watch, is always someone taking a risk. God is calling us tonight to not play it safe. Step out. I think we're going to be amazed. I love this place, man. October 5th, 2004. Some of you guys were not, who was not born yet at that point? Just put your hands up. Dang, that's nuts. October 4th, I'm sorry, 5th, 2004, I stepped into this room for the first time. My youth pastor brought me. Um, to see a concert. And I remember being like, whoa, this is crazy, you know? And I, I immediately as we're here, like the concert, I don't even really remember the band there, okay. Um, <laughs> But uh, this cute girl walks in that I knew from summer camp. I'm like, whoa! And we started hanging out, me and my buddies. I got some, you know, uh, she liked my other friend better. Uh, but it's all right. So um, we hung out with them. I met a group of people. I met Joey. I met a few of these people. And a big group of girls were like, you should come to youth group on Friday. It's called the green room. I go, the green room? And they go, yeah. I go, is it, is it green? They go, no. I go, okay, is a cute girl going to be there? I said, yes, I'm coming. So that Friday night was October 9th, 2004. That was my first green room I've ever gone to. And back then, green room was not in this room. It was in the basement. Um, Doug Jansen led it. He had hair. And Joey, <laughs> Joey weighed like 95 pounds. Like he was like, he was nothing. He was like a little, ha, ah, you know. I don't even know what that means. We had different leaders. We had different songs. 
but we had the same God. And I remember like, it was like early on, and I remember like coming, and I'm not sure if it was my first greeting room, my second or third, um, but I remember sitting back, you know, downstairs, and the worship was going on, and kids have their hands raised, and maybe tonight you're like, what does that mean? Uh, kind of symbolic as a little kid raises their hands to their father to be picked up. You know, that, that's kind of why we raise our hands during worship. Um, and so my hands, I'm sorry, these, these kids' hands are raised, and they're passionately worshiping God. And here's the thing, I grew up in the church, I consider myself a Christian, but I remember looking at these kids, and they're, they're passionately serving God and worshiping Him, and I, I remember thinking, like, these, these kids have something I don't. Like, these kids get something that I don't get. They understand something I, I want to understand, and I want it. And that was the beginning of this place changing my life. Fast forward a bunch of years, I met a lot of amazing people. I started helping out into the youth group band. I started helping out at the night service. At that point, the night service started to grow because the youth group was getting out of control, and Doug started a uh, young college group ministry, and that started to blow up too, and I became a part of that. Before you know it, I'm on staff. Fast forward even more, me and my wife, this past May, we got married, amazing. So many amazing things happened in this room. Right over there, I was like, yo, Steph, I like you. And she's all like, I gotta go. <laughs> so be persistent, my man. Be persistent. You guys got this. All right. But here's the thing. I have to think. I have to think for a moment. What would happen if Doug got afraid and quit? What would happen if Doug was like, you know, there's, there's four, six kids in this youth group, this isn't working out. We're just play, like, Green Room started with six kids in the basement, and they just played games, and it was like, it wasn't going anywhere. I remember Doug just talks about the early days of Green Room, and what if he gave up? What if he played it safe? What if he said, you know what, this isn't working. I'm afraid of where this might go. I need to get a better job to support my family. What if Pastor Ravone, who started this church, what if when he started in his living room, thought, this isn't, this isn't going anywhere. There's like, what, eight, nine people here in this living room of mine? Like, how am I going to make a church? How am I going to make a difference? What if he folded then? What if he took his cards and said, God, I'm just going to move on. I've got to get a job to support my family. What if he gave up? What if he didn't, you know, go to his home, and all of a sudden his home started filling with people, and then he went to the Legion Hall that they started, you know, renting, and then they bought this place, and this place was so much smaller. And they started, that started filling up. And then they, they blew out the cafe, they made the, ca- the, the cafe used to be the sanctuary, if I remember correctly. I was too young, but I was told. And then they, they all outgrew that, and they built the sanctuary that you and I are standing in right now. It all began so long ago when they could have gave up. And here's the truth. None of us would be here tonight. And that's heavy. Especially some of your leaders who you grew up in green room. You were under the ministry of Doug. You were under the ministry of Joey. And, and they poured into your life. And God used them and, and leaders and people. And here you are. What would our lives look like? What would my life look like if it wasn't for the people that came before me? If they weren't faithful with what they were supposed to do? We are all here because of their faithfulness. We, everyone in this room, We're their legacy. Their faithfulness, God used to empower them, and now, us. And here's what I want to drive home here tonight. Likewise, you can be that for others.
You can be that for others. And maybe right now you're starting to say, no, I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I'm not su-. Read this with me. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear. What did he not give us? He gave us a spirit, not, not of fear. But what? But of power and love and self-control. God has given you and I power. He's given us the ability to make a difference. And this is all available to us. Here, here's the thing. Just focus for a second. You could be the most talent, talentless person in this room. You can have nothing to offer. The world can look at you and laugh. But if you say yes to Jesus, there's no limit to what he could do through you. And the lies of the enemy is what holds you and I back. We begin to think, I don't have any talent. I don't have any ability. I'm so young. I have nothing to offer. You know, I messed up. I don't read the Bible as much as I should. I don't get it. I can't, I, and we begin to suck in these lies that the enemy is feeding us. Why? Because the devil is fearful of a kid who raises his hand and says, God, use me. And he tries to keep us pinned and trapped. So Jesus died and he left us a legacy of salvation, of freedom, of power. The question I have is, do we live like that is true tonight? God is offering you a promised land, one of forgiveness, one of strength, a life that is not meant to live in the comfort zone. And when we step out, it's uncomfortable, it's scary, it's weird, but it's a ride. It's a life and it's a legacy worth writing and living. And so what I want us to get here tonight is this, is your legacy begins with today. So let God write your legacy. Your legacy begins with today, so let God write your legacy. So as we wrap this up here tonight, what will your legacy be? Will it be one of fear? One characterized by the issues that you have, or will it be one where you come before God and you give Him your issues and you let Him use you and you don't count yourself out? And so what I want us to do, I want us to do three things. One, I want us to know something tonight. I want every single one of you to know this. That in the hands of God, you are an unstoppable force of good. There is no deed too small or insignificant that He doesn't use to create a legacy. I remember talking to a friend, and he said that the moment that he felt like he was finally welcome at church, where he was finally a part, where he finally belonged, he, he pointed back to a time that I put my arm around him. I don't even remember it. We were, on, we were at, on a mission trip, and I just put my arm around him, and I was like, yo, dude, what's up, or something like that. I don't remember. But he said, that was the moment that I felt like I belonged, and that's when I chose to stay. He's one of our band members to this day. Guys, the littlest thing you do can change someone's life. You don't have to be going to Africa and saving babies from alligators. I mean, that's, if you, I mean, if God forbid that's happening by all means, but the littlest things that we do, guys, we can make a difference. I'm standing here because Doug was not afraid. I'm standing here because the leaders were not afraid. Yeah, they weren't perfect. Yeah, they screwed up. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to screw up. Jeez. <laughs> I pray, though, that, that I'm making an impact. But what I'm more excited about is what you guys are going to do. So know that. You are 
a force of good. And see, the second one is don't count yourself out, count yourself in. This is something we all do together. If we want the green room to, to blow up, we want it to, to be filled with kids who need the love of Jesus, it's going to start with you guys. Yeah, we can make the worship cool and we can have Anthony Karai with his backwards hat, you know what I'm saying, doing cool announcements and, and fun games and stuff like that. We can have Joey when he comes back, kill it with messages. But it's going to grow if you guys are seeking God. So count yourselves in. You guys are just as important as we are. And the last thing is this. Seek God. Get to know his love. Let his love guide you. Let his love guide you. Guys, you're not supposed to be perfect. That's why Christ died. To set you free. And maybe tonight you're saying, all right, Andrew, I get it. This is all cool. But you don't know my past. You don't know my past. I've sinned too much. I screwed up. I've hurt people. People don't trust me. I am a mess. And what I want to say to you here tonight is this, that God uses the mess of the world to make the greatest change, that you are not far off, and God loves you, and you can't out-sin his grace and his forgiveness in your life. So let his love guide you too. Don't count yourself out. This is just for you. Have you ever heard of the quote, guys? It's not how you start, but it's how you finish. For those of you who are stuck in the past, you need to realize this, that God forgives your past. But guess what? Now it's your turn to forgive yourself and walk in that freedom. Guys, God wants to use this generation to impact the next. I wonder what green room will look like in 10 years from now. When all of you guys graduated, all of you guys moved on, what will you leave to the next generation. And I believe it will be amazing. But tonight, I hope you've seen you guys can make a difference too. And so guys, your legacy begins with today. So let God write your legacy. Let's pray. God, tonight I just come before you and I just pray for every young person in this room that has Believe the lie, God, that they're not good enough. That they believe the lie that they have nothing to add, that they believe the lie that you don't love them, God, when the truth is, God, you love them so much. And tonight, God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would just overwhelm each child, each kid, each adult in this room, God, and your Spirit would encourage them, God, that they would be filled with, with your grace, to know, God, that you are with them, that you want to do amazing things through them and in them. I pray they wouldn't count themselves out. I pray, God, that they would know the smallest things add up to a legacy, that they would live life on purpose, and they wouldn't let the devil take, God, what you want to give them. And so, Spirit, God, I pray that we would see Green Room change. And as this is the last time I will speak on this stage in a room where you use people to change my life, God, I pray you do the same for these people in this room. I pray, God, that you would give them such a passion and excitement to pour into their friends. Though they are broken too, God, we are all broken, but you use broken people to create a revolution. I pray tonight, God, that we would live. For that revolution, we wouldn't be sitting on the sidelines. We wouldn't be afraid. But God, that we would see you do the impossible. 
And as we move from this place and we go to the school down the road and from there on, wherever you have us, God, we know that as we seek your face, as we worship you, God, you will heal the brokenness in us, but you will also impact those who we come in contact with. And so, Jesus, expand our faith tonight. Help us to stop thinking so one-dimensionally. Help us to not be so concerned with our comfort, God, but that we would run to you and we would see you do awesome things through us, God, and we would not waste these moments that you give us. I pray, God, these kids would feel how much they, they're loved by us as leaders. Some of the new people we've, I've met here tonight, maybe I don't know you well, but I will lay my life down for you. God, I pray, Lord, that we would work together and see this island changed. So, Spirit of God, would you just be with us as we worship, as we praise your name. I pray you would do some work. You would rearrange our hearts. And we would see you do some amazing, amazing things tonight. We just pray this in the name of Jesus. His name we pray. Amen.